Please stand for the reading of God's word from Nehemiah 2, 9 through 20. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night of the, by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite's servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome again. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you, especially if you are new. I would love to get to know you, especially if you have been here a while, even before I got here and I haven't got to know you yet. I would also love to get to know you. My family and I are trying to hang out uh, in the courtyard out front after services, so please feel free to find us out there after service. Uh, We began a new series last week in the book of Nehemiah. If you weren't there, I'm going to give you just the tiniest of recaps of what we talked about last week, but we're starting into this series that we're calling A Time to Rebuild. Uh, Nehemiah is a book about Nehemiah's efforts alongside the community, the people of God, uh, to rebuild the ruined city of Jerusalem that was destroyed back in 586 BC by a Babylonian invasion. Its walls were broken down, its gates were broken down, it was just leveled. It was a completely destroyed city. And this happened, uh, scripture records for us, as part of God's exiling his own people from the land that he had originally given them as a tragic consequence for their having walked so far away from God that it was no longer fitting for them to be the people of God in that place. And some 140 years later is when our book takes place. 140 years into being taken from your home 
into a place that you don't know, around people who don't speak your language, who don't have your customs. Maybe if you're a new student coming to Boston for the first time, you're feeling a little bit like a person in exile. Uh, you're feeling that I don't know the people or the customs. It's been 140 years of either being gone from Israel or the news that Jeremiah hears in the beginning of the book is about the people who were left, the people who remained. And in ancient times, a city without walls was like a body without an immune system. It had no defenses. It was completely susceptible and without security. So this is 140 years of being a people without any sense of security. It was certainly a time to rebuild. For us too, though, I believe it's also a time to rebuild. After two plus years of being in a pandemic, and not just a pandemic, but a time of cultural and political upheaval, times where we've experienced continued and worsening gun violence, racial prejudice and violence continuing, economic struggles, our environment deteriorating, and that as a culture, but us as a particular church. It's been two years before I got here without a pastor. We were in a time of transition. And in the midst of that, we also transitioned away from being this network kind of connection of churches to just us. So for us too, it is certainly a time to rebuild. And my hope is that through this book that we're going to focus on ways that we as a church and as Christians, individuals, can rebuild. And that through that focus, we'll see how we're not rebuilding alone, but that it's actually God who is working in us, through us, and around us, just as he was working in, through, and around Nehemiah and the exiles themselves to rebuild. So that we, in fact, become, once again, a city with walls, that we become a people who can be a refuge for a world in the midst of brokenness. Last week we looked at how Nehemiah had wrestled with the pain of this, this sad state of the city of Jerusalem so deeply that it changed his life. He wrestled so deeply that he made their problems his problems. And through that we saw what the heart of God in fact is like for us, that Christ himself wrestled so deeply as one of us with our problems to make our problems his problems. Today, we're going to look at Nehemiah actually getting to take stock of the situation with his own eyes to see the destruction that he's only heard about and to start moving toward rebuilding it. I'm hoping it will actually help us know how we take stock of the ways that our own walls and gates are torn down as individuals, as a church, that we might start to know how we figure out what's broken and what needs fixing. Uh, we're going to get to more of the conflict and opposition that this passage talks about uh, in later weeks, uh, but I don't have time for that today. Uh, today we're going to focus on two things, not three points, just two. I'm breaking all Presbyterian conventions <laughs> by giving you two points today. We're going to focus on how Nehemiah takes stock of Jerusalem's sad state. Uh, we'll look at that in verses 11 to 16 and 20. And we're going to look also, secondly, at how Nehemiah moves then toward rebuilding in verses 17 to 18. And likewise, how we do these things, how we take stock, how we rebuild alongside Nehemiah as he does that. But before we enter in, would you just pray with me one more time as we ask God to fill up our hearts. Father, we would come now as those who would lean against your chest, like a small child would just lean 
on their father. We pray that that might be your word for us now, drawing us in, bringing us comfort, speaking to us gently and kindly of the things that we might have and do and become. Pray that you would enter in with us in that special way now by your Holy Spirit, who we know is living and active. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. If you don't have one, there should be a hardback black one in the pew in front of you, or feel free to use your Bible app or just listen along. But we're going to be going through the text a little bit together here. Starting uh, in verse 11, we see that, uh, starting actually in verse 9, that Jeremiah started making his way to Jerusalem. He has to go kind of through the province. If, if it were here, he'd have to get into Massachusetts first, and then he would have to get all the way to Boston. He's finally making his way bit by bit to Jerusalem, and in verse 11, he finally arrives. So his months-long hope, as we talked about last week, he hears the news in one particular month, Kislev, and then four months pass where he is just grieving and mourning, he is fasting, he doesn't have an appetite, he is just broken down. So it's been those four months even before he got to talk to the king and get permission to go, and now it's been who knows how much longer to prepare and get going and get commissioned and get on the way and end up actually in Jerusalem. So a months-long desire is now finally coming to see some fruition. It's becoming a reality for the first time. He is getting to be in the place where his heart has been for months and months, the place that his mind keeps going to. He is finally getting to see that. I don't know if you've had that kind of experience. You've planned for a vacation. You plan to go to school. You plan to move someplace, and you've been planning and planning and planning, and you finally get there, and now you can see it. Right, and sometimes it's disappointing. And like, this is it? This is the whole thing? Uh, maybe I shouldn't have planned to be here for a week. Uh, but <laughs> Jeremiah gets there, and this is, this is where he wants to be. Right? He, he has been longing to be here, and he spends time doing the thing that he came there to do. He spends time taking stock of what has happened to the place that was to be this great city that shows the world who God is. There was a place where you could know God personally by his name. He wants to see what's happened to this place that's in ashes. And so in these verses 11 through 16, he spends time walking around the city. He does it in a few distinct ways that I think are instructive for us. First, he does that quietly. He does it at night. He doesn't tell anyone what he is doing is what it says in verse 12. He does it in a way where people wouldn't notice what he was doing, when he could just focus on the walls, when all he would have in his sight is just the damage. No one else's expectation, no one kind of checking out what he is doing, just him and the walls. He does it not just quietly, but with only a few people. It says that the king sent him with cavalry, with support. He could have taken this full group. He could have been out there in force and strength, strutting, like, hmm, I'm going to take care of these walls. No, he's just there quietly. Because it wasn't about showing others something at this time. Or even guarding himself, though verse 10 is keying us into the fact that people are starting to be unhappy that someone would consider rebuilding Jerusalem. He's doing this quietly because this is truly about just understanding the problem. 
It's not about showing somebody else something. It's about understanding the problem and the needs of these people and this city. He does it not just quietly and only with a few people, but he also does it patiently. Verse 11 says he waited three days before he did this walk around the city, before he made this examination. Think about that. He has been mourning for months. This is news that changed his life. He is only here because something dramatically happened in his heart that would make him want to be here. He has spent time desperately trying to get here, and as soon as he gets in the city, he waits. He doesn't start right in to the project. He doesn't run out to the walls right away. He doesn't just drop everything at the gates and start walking around. Why not rush in? If that's where his heart has been, why wait? Because at times, I think this is important for us to see in our own rebuilding, at times it is important, it is better to wait. To not do something just yet, just because it's on our hearts. Just because we know it is a good thing to do so that the problem could actually be one day more effectively dealt with than if we had just rushed in right away. Because the reality is, and scripture talks about this elsewhere, Jesus himself says this, that not every time is right. Not every time is right for action. Not every moment is the right moment to lean in. What we have to do is know what is the right time to fix the right problem. Nehemiah shows us again here that he is there for the problem. He has been brought here because his heart has been changed, but he is ultimately there to make a difference for this problem. This isn't about him getting what he needs. He doesn't rush right in because it would be better to wait. He creates a distance even between what he so deeply wants and what will be best. We see through this quiet, small, patient taking stock, we see a Nehemiah who is truly focused on the problem and not on himself. What we see here is a Nehemiah focused on the problems and not on himself. That may be one of the hardest things to do in the entirety of human existence, <laughs> to focus not on me but on something else, to let me go, to let my desires go, to let my needs go and just see how can I help. Because he does these things, not so that he could tell a more adventurous story, so he doesn't tell people after, listen, I went out at night, no one was around. I crept through the gates, my donkey couldn't fit, so I stopped. He's not trying to tell a more dramatic story. He doesn't do it so he could build anticipation as it's been three days and people are thinking, okay, it's been three days. What's this guy doing here? He's got orders from the king. He's got cavalry. What's going to happen? He's not doing it just to build anticipation or even because he was afraid of others and wanted to hide so he would go when they couldn't see him, but so simply that he could be alone with the problem. Do you see, Nehemiah's not thinking about Nehemiah. He's thinking about Jerusalem. 
He wants to be alone with the problem so that he could focus on it without distraction because this is what had his heart. These people, this place, this problem, he was learning to let himself go. And he's actually very much like Jesus in that. The Gospels say that Jesus would often go off to lonely places so that he could pray. We could say so that he could get alone with the problem of salvation. Gospels also show us that at times Jesus would wait and not answer the problem right away. Think about the story of Lazarus where Jesus specifically says, Lazarus is actually going to die and I am not going to help him and stop it though I could because it will be better if I don't. Jesus would likewise only take a few people with him at times, only take a couple friends with him and ask others even not to tell people what he was doing, not to tell about the amazing things that he had done for them because he wasn't there for the fanfare. He wasn't there for the attention. He was there for the problem. The real problem, the problem of rebuilding us from the ashes and rubble that sin and death had created in our lives. He was there for his broken down city, his broken down people, for his exiles wandering without security, without hope, where you and I in our sin were a people without the ability to say no. We were a city without walls, broken down, unable to save ourselves. It was for that problem that he would get alone, that he would be quiet, that he would take only a few with him because he was not there for him. He was there for you, for anyone that would call on him by faith to fix the rubble and the ashes of lives broken down and destroyed by sin, of relationships unraveled, of families broken, of cities broken, of whole economic systems, of social justice systems broken. He came to fix the entirety of all that was broken. He was not there for him. He was there for you, for the problem. That's what he came to solve. That's what his death and resurrection were pointed at by dying to sin for us so that we would die with him there by faith. We rise again in him, a city actually rebuilt, a people reconstituted as those who are the people of God. And we'll talk about this more in weeks to come. But the whole picture of exile and rebuilding is actually just a picture of what Jesus does for us in sin and dying in our place and resurrecting. Coming back from exile is a picture of resurrection. That's what Jesus came to bring us, the rebuilding of our lives, the rebuilding of our world. That's what he came for. And through Nehemiah and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, we see the outlines of a God who would come and focus just on us. We see not just that, we also see a guide for how we take stock of our own rebuilding. We do that by finding ways, just like Nehemiah, just like Jesus, to be alone with the problem and the one who rebuilds us. We get to follow someone else's footsteps. 
See, Nehemiah talks about how the hand of God has been with him in verse 18 through all these things. It's showing us that God is on his mind as this is happening. It's not, I was doing all these things and I was like, oh yeah, I should pray. No, it's just Nehemiah is thinking about God as he is going. God has been imprinted on his heart. He sees God where he goes. He sees God leaning in in the ways that he needs help, acting in the ways that he needs support. He is aware of, he is spending time with, getting alone with the problem and the one who can solve it. He's intentionally finding ways to get alone because we find the right answers. We find the solutions for the things that we recognize that are broken, not just by thinking in our own heads, but by getting alone with God. But by connecting back to him, being in relationship with him, letting him speak to us. We need both. I'm sure I've got a room full of thinkers and doers here. Amen? I'm one among you, right? It is so much easier for us to plan and be like, yes, pastor, get alone with the problem. I can do that. Give me a spreadsheet. Give me a table, whatever it is. I'm going to get alone with the problem. Done. Get alone with the problem and with God. Right? We need both. We need to lean into being alone with the Lord. That's what this template starts to show us, to get alone with the problem and with God. That's how we take stock. That's how we start to see where we need to be rebuilt, by letting God speak to us about these things. And at times, like Nehemiah, that's going to mean that we have to have patience. Patience. Because like with Nehemiah waiting three days, today, tomorrow, even this year, may not be the right time to act. I just want to flag this for us as a church, right? As we're coming through a series of pastoral transition, I'm on now, yes, but we are just getting going, right? I'm here, but it is not all settled. It is not all worked out. This is a new season for us. We are going to need to wait on some things for a time. We may even need to let some some ministries, some projects sit or pause some and wait and come back to them. Because healthy rebuilding can involve patience and waiting so that we might do it right. So that we might focus in on the problem and not ourselves, even when that's uncomfortable. Even when it is, hey, I really like that thing. I really want to do it this way. And I might say, I want to too. God wants us to too. But today may not be the day that we get to do that. We can sit in that uncomfort, that discomfort, though, because we have a confidence that Nehemiah has, which is where verse 20 comes in, that the God of heaven, as he says, is with us. The God of heaven, who sees all things, who knows all things, is with us in these problems, is the one whose hand has been upon us to get us to this point, who will keep leading us farther from this point. And so we can actually take our time and do it right. God is the one, Nehemiah says, who will make us successful. At times we all, I feel this especially, feel the urgency of I see the problem, I have to do it right now. I have to solve this right now. If I don't talk about it today, if we don't handle it this week, it's not going to get done. That is just not biblically true. God doesn't act 
only because you were ready to act. God doesn't bless our endeavors simply because I had my shoes on and I was ready to go at the right time. That is not at all the picture of the way the God of the Bible moves in our lives. We can be patient, we can wait, having confidence that it, it depends not on us, but on him. He is the one who makes us successful. Our rebuilding does not depend on us. It's going to involve us. God loves to involve us, but it's not going to depend on us. No matter what anyone else does or says, even those that would oppose us, like Sambalat or Tobiah, God is going to prevail. No matter what anyone else does, we can take our time. That's how we take stock of our own rebuilding, with patience getting close to God, getting alone with the problem, starting to let ourselves go that we might find ourselves anew in the Lord and together. But I also want us to see, in turning to our second point here, what happens when we actually do that? When we start to take stock this way as individuals and as a people... So looking secondly at how Nehemiah starts moving towards rebuilding in verses 17 to 18 and how we do as well. So having gotten alone with the problem, Nehemiah moves first towards rebuilding in verse 17 by coming back to the very people that he's actually created a little space from. He doesn't stay at a distance. Nehemiah doesn't stay in his ivory tower. He doesn't have his house and no one comes in, no one's going out. He just kind of sends direction and stays at an arm length. That's not what happens. He doesn't stay at a distance but comes back to the people that he came for in the first place. Because again, this is not about Nehemiah. This is about the problem. He needed space, absolutely. And there are going to be times when all of us need space to think a little bit and reflect and understand the problem better and get with the Lord. But we and he needed to come back with that clarity that you get from space to re-engage with the people and the problem. He has kept this, in other words, about them. Though he has taken time to just be alone to get at the problem, he has kept this about them. We can see that in how he calls this a we problem. Look at verse 17. He says, see the trouble, not you, we are in. He doesn't say, why don't you all rebuild? He says, let us rebuild so that we may no longer suffer derision, that we, we may no longer be in shame. He doesn't say you. He doesn't say, y'all get going. He says, we, let us rebuild that we may no longer suffer shame. He has made their problems his problem. This is still for him a we issue. He recognizes this is a we problem and it's going to require a together, an us solution. Likewise, we have to see that the rebuilding of our spiritual lives, both individually and as a church, is a we, an altogether problem. This is not something that we will fix on our own. 
any of the things that are broken down in our church, we will not fix on our own. We will only do better to work together. Any of the things that are broken down in our individual lives, we will not fix on our own. Let me say that. The sin in your life, you will not fix on your own. The Christian life does not grow in isolation. The Lord meets us Yes, in any time, in any way, but he is designed for us to be a people that we would grow through each other, with each other, that he would actually speak through one another. We need to come back to one another. Let me encourage you, let me exhort you through this as we see Nehemiah, yes, having an isolated time, but coming back to the people to come back to Christian community in a new way, maybe in an old way, that the pandemic has gotten you out of your rhythms, that we all feel maybe more isolated, more prone to just be on Zoom in our jammies than to show up and do something, but to re-engage in this community, if you're gonna call CTK home, to re-engage in this community in a new way within the next three to six months. To find a way where you are authentically, regularly plugged into community in some way here. There are a lot of ways to do that here right now. But I want to exhort you to find a way where you are reconnecting authentically that together we might work on the problems that are in here and out there. I want to encourage you to come back. And you're already here, right? You're here on Sunday, but to deepen those roots. Sunday alone is not going to shift the tide it is Sunday through Saturday, the entirety of our week. I'm not saying have an activity every week, but that we need God day to day. And that if we're just showing up once a week, that's like only catching your breath once every 10 minutes. And feeling like that oxygen is going to be enough for you. It will not. We need each other. We need people to call, people to text, people to say, my week is just awful. Or my week is awesome. And I want to tell somebody about it. We need one another. But what's also key about Nehemiah's rebuilding is not just how he does that in community, but how he makes that effort to rebuild in community both personal and theological. Look at verse 18. It says, And I told them about how the good hand of my God that had been upon me and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. We could say that's a shorthand way of saying Nehemiah told them his story. He told them about how he had just broken down and become a mess. He told them about how, how he was just grieving and weeping for days, how he had been fasting, how he had taken time, as we talked about last week, to pray and plan and risk, that he put himself on the line even just to be there that he is someone who didn't really have a right to speak up before the king and ask something like this, had stepped in and taken that kind of risk to come and be with them, to focus on this problem. He makes it personal, this call to rebuild. And he makes it theological. He tells them God's story. He doesn't just say, I did this and that and the other thing and leave God out. He talks to them about how it was God at work the whole time, all throughout. He draws attention to God being at work. He's showing them God is the one who has brought them this far. God is the one who is going to bring us farther. 
through Nehemiah's story, they are getting to witness God on the move. I want us to see that people respond to that. We respond to that. When people respond to a call to rebuild, it is because you are hearing something that is deeply personal and deeply theological. That's what lets us quickly say yes, as the people say an instantaneous yet here. They see Nehemiah's heart. They see how God's heart is written on that heart and how God's hand has been moving alongside where God has started to work in someone's heart. They see God at work. They can see the writing on the wall. They say, I see how God is here and I am going to fit into that. Because this is not about me, this is about God of heaven being at work and I am in because he is in. That's what lets us respond when we are personal and theological, when we have that connection to see what God is doing that the Holy Spirit gives us, and when he moves in our hearts to move those things toward others, we share them and they catch that same fire too. We need the Holy Spirit moving in us, opening our eyes to see how God has been at work. So to lead off on that, I just want to take a few minutes to share some of my story with you of how God's been working to get us here, my family here, settled here, to see some of how he has been at work for us that we might sign on to that together as well, that he has moved to get us here where we might work to rebuild Christian community in power in our place and time that we might see revival, transformation, hearts captivated, lives changed by the gospel in our time. So I'm just going to be, be straight with you all, and you, you've heard me say this before, that, that getting here was hard because of what happened at the end of February. My mother-in-law died suddenly from a stroke. We went from one day having her to the next day having a phone call saying she was in the hospital, and then we lost her a week later. It was extremely and continues to be painful. And that really could have derailed everything. It could have felt like there is no way that we can actually come now, that we have the strength and the energy to keep going. And to be honest, we have been stretched and we are still very tired from months of grief and transition. But there was never a time where we felt like it would be right for us to let go. We continued somehow by God working in us to feel like this is still our place. Y'all are still our people. We need to be here. God kept us moving. There has been no doubt that we are meant to be here despite the immense pain that we've gone through. And even in trying to get here, it's been difficult trying to get a house. At times we were deeply discouraged by the housing market. Some of y'all can give a hearty amen to that. We were looking for things that fit a family of our size with kids at our stage where we would not lose our minds, where we are trying for me to lean in in an emotional, spiritual way with you all, to also lean in an emotional, spiritual way at home. We needed some space to do that, and we were fighting and being continually outbid again and again and again, and yet God somehow provided a house where we were able to bid under, and the people said yes. We have a place now to root and be here with you for the long haul. And I pray that God would open that door for you as well. 
That if you are yearning for a home, you've been looking for a home, that if you've lost a home, that God will return that to you as well, that you might have a place to root, that you could be here with us for the long haul. And I pray that you might consider that if you haven't considered that before. How might I possibly root to be here for the long haul? How might God work to make that possible for me? But even in getting here, it's still been difficult. You all know, some of you know, the saga that we have been through with pods. Almost the name that I will not speak. <laughs> right? We had miraculous neighbors that were so good to us that put their own stuff out in the streets in Philadelphia, just on the street to try and block out space so that these folks who would not give us the time of day would even consider moving our box of stuff. We were gone. They didn't need to care about us. They didn't need to do anything for us. They, day in and day out, were out there trying to make this happen for us. This summer, we had no idea where we were going to send our boys. Esther works full-time. I'm working full-time. During the pandemic, we had terrible months where we tried to do that, and the boys are with us. We could not do that again, right? We needed a place for our boys to go for the summer. But what happens when you move in June and you didn't know where you were going to be? Everything is full. All of the programs are taken, and yet somehow God provided a place that our boys loved so that we, so that I could start working and leaning in with you all here. We had deep prayers and hopes that our boys might find community here quickly, that they as little ones might find new roads for themselves, and that prayer was answered because they felt welcomed and at home so quickly in a place where we have no family, where we've known no one before, we haven't lived here before, we have no connections here before, and I just want to give a huge praise to God for the Russells and thank them so deeply because our boys see them as family. Lachlan was just sitting and resting on Greg this morning, right? Like that is such a beautiful thing where I feel like my kids have some people here that they know already that they feel like they're so comfortable with. God has brought us, settled us here through many obstacles overcome, through many needs taken care of, through even hopes that we weren't sure might be met in years being met in weeks. What will he do next? What will he do for you? What will he do through you? And that brings us to our kind of application of what we do with these things more concretely as we seek to start rebuilding. I want to give you actually, I usually give you two, but since I gave you two points, I'm giving you three applications. I'm going to give you prepare, share, and take stock. The first thing I want to ask us to do in light of these things is to prepare for patience for yourself to be gracious with yourself, that coming back from periods of spiritual dryness is going to take time. Be gracious with yourself. Be gracious with those next to you, especially if they are under about this high. Be gracious if you are this high with those that are that high because we all need more time. Be gracious with us as leaders, the session, diaconate, staff, ministry leaders. We are all trying to figure this out as we are running at the same time. And because as we've said, though we have waited two years to get to this place where we're starting to rebuild, there may be many ways in which the time is not yet right for some of the things that we want to do or maybe even some of the things that we have done in the past. We're going to need patience.
but we get to have in that patience the confidence that the God of heaven is working, that the Holy Spirit is in us, rebuilding us, even if it means some more waiting. So prepare. Second, share. I want to encourage you, just as I shared with you right now, to think about the ways that God was at work in getting you to where you are today. Whether you're a visitor and you're just here for the day, whether you are going to be rooting here for some time, whether you've been here for a long time, think about the story of how God has been at work to get you to this moment. How you've overcome obstacles, how he's provided for you. Because that's what people are going to respond to. That's what I need to hear. I need to see God on the move in your life for me to sign up and say, yes, let's go. Because I can see that he is moving and I am on board. We need to hear the stories of God worked out through each other's lives, shared with us. I want to ask you, find a way to spend a little time this week and think about just some of those elements of your story where God has shown up. And think about one person that you might encourage by sharing that with them. Because if we're going to rebuild, we need each other's stories. And then finally, take stock we need to take stock as well, right? We need to spend time getting alone with the problem. We need to think, how have I changed over the pandemic in ways that are not for the best, right? What do I need to change in my habits, in the ways that I'm thinking, in the people that I'm associating with, and what I'm reading even, the things that I'm watching? What are the things that I need to start getting out of my life, and what are the things that I need to start getting into my life? Just be honest about that. There's no shame. I am with you. I am also someone that needs to get things out and get things in. Just do an honest assessment. Be honest with yourself and honest with the Lord. Let him tell you the ways that you have an opportunity to rebuild. Not out of shame, but just to help us move forward because we cannot fix what we won't admit is broken. This is not about shame. This is about opportunity giving ourselves, giving one another the opportunity to rebuild. So I want to encourage you to get alone with the problem personally, but to also have us get alone with the problem as a church, to think in our community groups, in our Bible studies, in our prayer times, and just our life together, where do we need to start rebuilding? What are some of the gaps that we see? And to spend time talking to God about those things. And let's pray now and do that together. Let's pray. I want to give you a little space to just actually talk to God about some of those things. To maybe thank him for the ways that he has shown up in your story. To confess maybe the ways that you've had little patience. That you've had very little desire to get alone with the problem or to not have the problem be about you. And just ask him to start showing us the things that we need to change to return us to community life. Let's spend a few moments in prayer.
God, we ask that you would hear these prayers and move, that you would be alive in our stories, in our church, in our city, that we might see that you are on the move in our time, that you are rebuilding even now, that you see our hearts, that you see our problems, that you have made them your own, and that you will do something about them in and through us. Move in us now, we pray. Amen.